Yeah, it was um, a little bit like the Germany game in the respect that it was a game of two halves. Again, um, Japan found themselves behind quite early on and Spain dominated the first half, but crucially didn't get the second goal. Just the same as what Germany had experienced against Japan, funnily enough, at that very same stadium. Um, again, coach Moriasu made some changes at half time. He brought on Matoma and Duan. They had an instant impact with Duan scoring, I think it was three minutes after the second half started. And then about three minutes later, Matoma was able to um, square the ball across and the, the second goal was, was played in by Tanaka. So, um, Mori, Moriasu's um, you know, quick sort of decisiveness at half-time to, to make the changes played a major part in Japan's comeback and, you know, that sort of eight-minute spell just on the other side of half-time, Spain couldn't recover from it. Welcome back. You're listening to The Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Here at Japan Forward, we bring to our audience issues that are of real importance in and about Japan from the perspective and context of people inside of Japan, as expressed or captured by them who truly understand the nuances of culture, issues, and current events. In today's session, we're joined again by Colin Morrison, longtime sports writer, who gives us an, a summary of Group E FIFA World Cup Qatar 22 and how Japan performed against Spain. Let's listen in. Thank you to our listeners and followers for joining us again for our t- Twitter space. Every week, we're seeing more people join us for this live conversation and appreciate it very much. Before we get started, let us introduce ourselves. For anybody unfamiliar with us, we started Japan Forward in 2017 with the goal to reach global audiences by sharing stories, opinions and editorial content from Japan. Our mission, shared by our supporters and followers, is to raise awareness of the Japanese spirit, culture and tradition. So our guest today is um, a friend of Japan Forward and Sports Look, is Colin and I still have your introduction from here before. So he's a veteran boxing and football sports writer, covering the sports for several years, and as a fan for even longer. Colin con- contributes to nyfights.com, spitballingpod.com, also Japan Forward and Sports Look, often covering major events, pop fights, and matches in both professions. So check out his latest pieces. Um, welcome to the show, Colin. Thank you. Happy to be on once again. And also our um, other guest, not really a guest, but part of the Japan Forward and Sports Look, is Ed, veteran sports writer in Japan. Um, and yeah, maybe Ed, you can give a, a quick introduction of um, what you do with Japan Forward and, and, and who you are. Hi, everybody. I'm Ed O'Devin. I'm the sports editor for Japan Forward and our sports uh related site called sports look which was launched in july 2021 i uh manage the day-to-day news uh schedule and uh most of the photos that you see and the stories that are up there i assign or you know at least uh, suggest them to be done i write the weekly odds and evens column uh which this week was about the uh emotional roller coaster of the groupie four teams in groupie is what i sort of described it as unpredictability of the world cup through the prism of those four teams 
I also write the Japan Sports Notebook uh, mostly every Sunday and a variety of subjects throughout the week. Uh, born in New York City, um, lived in Japan for many years. So yeah, my name is Galileo. I've been working with Japan Ford since 2017, um, just right about when we started. Um, let's see, I've been working with also before Japan Ford with some tech startups and also some big companies like Facebook, YouTube, Google, and Instagram. Um, and then, and yeah, I also do some consulting for you know, early stage startups, recently Web3 and NFT related projects and on Japan Forward. Um, just, yeah, I, I host this podcast and I try to look after the website. <laughs> uh, we have many websites with Japan Forward, so I look after that. And again, thanks again for people for joining us and for Colin and Ed for being available to talk today. I guess the first area um, that I wanted to discuss and talk about is Group E. It was an interesting group. Um, I would say different levels of um, different levels of styles, different levels of like the players. Um, but what what stands out is Spain and Germany, who were previous um, World Cup FIFA World Cup champions, who were in the group. And they were grouped in with um, Japan, who are Asia uh, FIFA Cup champions, and Costa Rica, who's um, still a strong team and representing um, the South American region. So, Colin, and let's go with Colin first. Um, what did you think about um, how Group E played out, all the matches? What, how, how would you summarize um, Group E? Um, well, we have... Two more groups to conclude today, but I'm pretty sure that when it's all said and done, Group E will be remembered as the most exciting group. Um, last night, all the teams at one point were through. There was another stage where all the teams were eliminated. So over the course of the of the games taking place, the teams had you know found themselves in every position in the group. And when things are chopping and changing like that so frequently. It can't help but be dramatic and the, the two matches getting played at the same time. You're trying to follow both games simultaneously and when there's so much going on, it's quite difficult. But, it, you know, it just adds to the excitement. Heart rate's going, even if you don't support any of the teams involved, you can't help but get really involved in it. So I think the makeup of that group and the, the way it all played out will be remembered as the, the most exciting group from this World Cup. Yeah, I think exciting is a good way to describe it with the way um, a lot of the games happened. started with Japan's uh, surprising win versus Germany in the first game and also Spain's like one-sided domination over Costa Rica. Ed, how about yourself? What were your impressions of Group E? Well, yeah, the 7-0 game was pretty impressive from an offensive standpoint, the Spain-Costa Rica. Um, but also I want to point out the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Germany, Germany came back and, and uh, you know, that draw against Spain sort of kept them alive and kept, you know, every team wide open in this race to get the two spots. And then when Costa Rica beat Japan also, that kept Costa Rica's chances alive. So, you know, you know, it was everybody was still wide open uh, entering um, last night's matches. With, yeah. of course... When I say wide open, you know, different things that happen with the goal differential and 
different scenarios with ties and wins and and whatnot, but every team still had a shot to advance. So that's that's unique in some respects. Wouldn't you guys agree? Yes. Um, when you go into the final round of fixtures, generally there can be a team already through or occasionally there's a team already eliminated. So it is kind of rare that all four teams have, you know, everything on the line in the final fixture. So, yeah, that, that added an extra layer to the drama in Group E. Yeah, I totally agree. Like coming to the very last game, um, each team still had a chance to to progress through. Like Spain was still, they could have still been eliminated, um, depending on a win. I think by Costa Rica, if that was, if yeah, that was and, the right scenario. And Costa Rica took like, took the lead against Germany yeah. for that brief five minutes that Spain were uh, in third position and would have been out if that had been the final result. Right, and then if Germany. Um, like Germany won, and if Japan tied today, Germany, Japan would have been eliminated, and Spain and Germany would have progressed through. So it was very interesting to the last, to the to the final minute, as Ed Ed said. Like Group E just kept. It was an interesting storyline. Let let me let me bring up something that I read earlier today on the BBC Sport website. Um, I like the nickname that was, of course, using the story "Comeback Kings of Qatar" for Japan. But what what made what made Japan's um, victories over the two former World Cup champions even more interesting was the fact that both of them were comeback victories in the second half, and um, this has happened twice before in the World Cup history where one nation has won two matches in the same tournament uh, after trailing at halftime: Brazil in 1938 and West Germany in 1970. So that really puts what Japan has done so far into con- in you know really good context. Um, if it happens that infrequently, then yes, it's a on the yeah, line twice at the same tournament. Yeah, yeah, um, and and we did it against you know highly respected and highly regarded football nations. So uh, that makes it an even better achievement. I wanted to talk about today's game. Um, it's still quite buzzing here in Japan. You're still seeing people talking about it on the news, social media. People are still mentioning how um, the game was, you know, exciting. But also, as many people have pointed out, it was a roller coaster of emotions. Just waiting till it was the final minute, and extra time was seven seven minutes. And a lot of people felt like it was the longest seven minutes of their life. I know, Colin, you're watching it live and making comments, also doing your own um, kind of play-by-play or live commentary. Um, what did you think about today's game, like first half and second half? Yeah, it was um, a little bit like the Germany game in the respect that it was a game of two halves. Again, um, Japan found themselves behind quite early on and Spain dominated the first half, but crucially didn't get the second goal, just the same as what Germany had experienced against Japan, funnily enough, at that very same stadium. Um, again, coach Moriasu made some changes at half-time. He brought on Matoma and Duan. They had an instant impact with Duan scoring, I think it was three minutes after the second half started, and then about three minutes later, Matoma was able to um, square the ball across 
and the the second goal was was played in by Tanaka. So um, Mori Moriasu's um, you know quick sort of decisiveness at half time to to make the changes played a major part in Japan's comeback and you know that sort of eight minute spell just on the other side of half time Spain couldn't recover from it yeah it was like, I think for me I was I watched I started watching from the second half I turned on yeah. the TV and was like wow Japan's like down one what's going to happen and like as you said almost immediately Japan was an attack they were very aggressive they were able to score two goals quite um, quickly. I wanted to ask Ed, was like, um, and you've covered sports for a long time, and you've seen comeback victories like this before, I'm sure, not just in in football or soccer, but in other sports. But Ed, um, I know you've mentioned this before, but you know what kind of mind frame, what kind of mentality do you think like Samurai Blue had to overcome? Like you know, they're on the brink of elimination. And what kind of mind frame did, did, did they need to have to to really, you know, to secure the victory for them? Well, I I wouldn't necessarily describe it as on the brink of elimination um, if they could have earned a tie. You know, other factors could have played into them still being, uh, you know, advancing. But yeah, a loss would have been disastrous if they couldn't at least tie it up. So at halftime, I think whatever Moriasu said and the players together, and the captain, Maya Yoshida, you know, they sort of turned the page and just refocused their energy and their mind and, you know, their physicality to play well. Of course, there were some key uh, substitutions that sparked the team. But I think I think by, the, by winning against Germany in a comeback mode, it kind of showed this group, which is pretty young. A lot of players are in their 20s on this team. I think it showed them that they sort of knew what it took to stay focused and to keep working hard and not to give up. Yeah, it's like, I guess for like, you know, fans and sports, like sports fans like us, it's hard to imagine like how to overcome like that feeling of like, this, this might be it. This is, this might be like the last 45 minutes or so of playtime for this like World Cup campaign. But lo and behold, we took about just, less than 15 minutes to be on top again and to be on top of um, Group E. So I, th- I thought that was like a very um, powerful story of how Japan just almost, you know, like, well, I kind of dram- dramatized a little bit, but they, were, they could have been eliminated. But from, from that position, they came out on top of Group E. So kind of which leads me to my next topic of like, now, what's the next step for Japan? Um, we know that they'll be playing um, next Tuesday in Japan time. I think next Monday, GMT. Um, they'll be yes. playing, playing Croatia. Um, how, how, how do you feel about that matchup, Colin? Um, it's going to be a difficult game for Japan, just, just being honest. Um, Croatia are... A highly respected football nation within Europe. Um, I actually regard them as, as still as one of the best European nations. Um, that you might remember, the listeners might remember, four years ago they they actually went all the way to the final in the Russia World Cup. So they still have the core of of that team. And although they've gotten a little bit older, they can still 
get the job done. And they look to me to be tournament focused. Um, their midfield is possibly the best midfield unit in the competition with Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic who have played together for many, many years. They know each other's strengths and weaknesses inside out and they just function so well as a unit. Also, um, Perisic on the left-hand side, he's having a really strong World Cup. Just, again, getting older, but he still gets up and down the left-hand side with great energy. He's just a brilliant football player. So the fact that they are through and they they look to be laser-focused is going to present a very difficult challenge for Japan. Um, So, yeah, they've played three games. They've had two clean sheets. They've conceded one goal. They scored four goals against Canada. So they're not, you know, they're not lighting the tournament up, so to speak. But but no team has done that yet. And um, I've mentioned their midfield, and I mentioned Perisic. Their defence, Lovren and Vardyol as the central defenders. That you know they they look a, a tough unit to to crack as well. Although Belgium did have a couple of chances towards the end of that game yesterday, which they squandered. Mm. So possibly Croatia. A little bit of good luck, but as as I said in the first sort of moment when I was talking about Croatia, they uh, they they're looking like they're clicking into gear. Oh wow! Okay, gentlemen, let me squeeze it. Let me um bump in here for a minute and just let, let's look at the history of Japan versus Croatia at the World Cup. It's been a long time since they've played. Um, in 1998, Croatia won one to zero in Japan's first ever trip to the World Cup, 1-0. And in 2006, it was a scoreless draw. So in World Cup competition, they haven't played in 16 years, and they haven't played in any friendlies or other events in 16 years either. So Japan is scoreless against Croatia in the last uh, since their first World Cup uh, meeting against them. The second Japan goal was the... The cutback from Matoma, which was mm. on the field, the referee disallowed the goal. Then VAR had the, the check, and it seemed to go on for a long time. And then they determined that the ball wasn't fully over the line, so the goal should stand. Um, how did the Japanese television cover that? What were they saying? Um, there was like mixed, yeah, mixed emotions, um, lots of doubt. Initially, because the first call was pulled back as no goal, so yeah. a bit of pessimism. But as soon as um, you know, VR announced it was a goal, the same emotions that they see in the field. People like the announcements were like, "Wow, this Japan's on top. Japan's gonna win, or whatever." So a lot of that kind of um, a lot of that energy. And there's the videos you'll see on, on online on social media of um, of people watching online. And as soon as it happens, like there's, um, and on Japanese, like, was it streaming, video streaming services? When people write comments, it goes on the screen. I think okay. you'll see one on my on my Twitter Twitter timeline, but it's flooded with a lot of words. It's just like ah, it's a goal, or like yeah, um, and it's you can't even see like the the video of like the soccer pitch. It's just all text flying through through the screen. Um, but yeah, how about yourself, Ed? I wanted to ask one, you because one, one thing I saw was a lot of people um, 
sharing comments on Facebook and Twitter and even like line, you know, the different uh, like people's timelines throughout the day was they're sort of praising the fact that VAR is in use because in this case, technology proved to save Japan with the goal. Um, whereas other times, maybe the off, an offsides call might have, you know, gone against uh, the Samurai Blue and uh, wouldn't have been happy for the fans. Things like the, the chip inside the ball and goal line technology, they're a little bit more modern. And because of the nature of that decision last night, I think they utilised that technology as well to, to make sure they got the, the decision right. And, you know, it took them a minute or two, but they, they did get the, the right decision because the rule is the whole ball needs to be over the whole of the line. So, you know, the last sort of the, as as was described, the overhang of the ball or the curvature of the ball was still in contact with the very back of the line, so the ball was still in play. So it was it was okay and it was the correct call. Um, because FIFA or the host broadcaster didn't show a conclusive picture during the the game, during the remainder of the game. The decision was met with suspicion by the television broadcasters over here, and they spent a lot of time after the game discussing why FIFA hadn't shown a conclusive picture, and there was a little bit of um, feeling of conspiracy for some reason, and I think they, they went totally off the topic and got distracted by it instead of focusing on the outcome of the, the two games and the fact that Japan and Spain had advanced in Germany and um, were going home again in the first round for the second World Cup in a row. But it was quite like definitive of like the match. Um, and second half just pretty much started. And that second controversial, that goal was quite controversial. Um, so yeah, I can kind of understand why they would kind of linger around and still talk about that. Um, but then on another note, um, just maybe to change gears, is that I think one Japanese um, national soccer player, I think maybe Nagatomo, um, he described he he shared um, a screenshot or a picture of that moment where Mitoma was bring, like you know bringing the ball back in, and as you can see that like, the ball is you know just rough just you know, lightly touching the 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 line. But he described that moment as like, you know, never giving up on a play and, you know, to, to play until the whistle. So I thought that was that was an interesting perspective of it. That is, yes. Um, it, it, it looked to me like, you know, I, I saw several photographs uh, in the database. Uh, in the database that I use to select photographs for batches like this, you know, often there's often there's more than a thousand shots in total from going from the pregame warm-ups to fan shots to action photos to crowd reaction, you know, during the game to all different things. And there was, you know, 20, 25 shots of that particular play. And from most angles, it looked like the ball was like 95% uh, over the line. But, you know, just barely by like a whisker, part of it still remained. But a couple shots looked like it was completely over the line. Yeah. yeah, like, but then I think also a lot of social media too. Some some photos can get like doctored and you know, um, shopped 
just to get views or whatever. So I was careful just to be looking at footage from um, from like you know verified sources or official sources. Um, but in your in your position too, Ed, you're you're looking at photos from official official sources too. So it's it's a mixture of different things that are happening there. But, uh, before we move on to to another topic, I just want to also point out that um, you guys were discussing the first half earlier and Colin's impressions of the first half. And I thought that Spain did a really brilliant job of, you know, controlling the ball and, you know, passing it, you know, to seven, eight guys, really setting up the offense. But the fact that Japan only trailed 1-0 at halftime sort of was a credit to the Samurai Blue defense in Gonda, who has only given up... Um, you know, a handful of goals in this tournament so far. He's been very, he's been very effective for the most part. And uh, I think Doan has also arrived as one of the heroes of the World Cup and sort of raised his stock globally with two tying goals in three games. Yeah, and also he comes off, comes in as a sub, which is and not as a starter, and delivers immediate impact. I think that topic deserves more attention for sure. Well, that's um, I was. I've made some notes um, before this, and that was one of the things I was going to talk about. Just the fact that, okay, Moriasu got things a little bit wrong against Costa Rica, but against Germany, and then last, yesterday against Spain, he seemed to have his starting lineup, and cer- certain players knew that they would be getting replaced after a certain amount of time. So that. You know, sort of touched on this after in our discussion after the Germany game that these players could exhaust themselves, um, and they knew that they would be a fit player backing them up and coming on after sixty minutes, or in the case of the first two substitutes, they they were made after forty-five minutes. So he's he's making use of his entire squad, and that would be from what I've seen, that would be the best way for Japan to approach the next game as well. Start with the same 11 and give them the same instructions, you know, work as hard as you possibly can. And then the backups are going to come on. Matoma and Duan can come off the bench and have that kind of impact again in a second half. Then that's the winning formula. Um, I wanted to ask about Mitoma. Um, He was brought in the second half and he had some some like good good plays down the sideline and eventually it was his you know pass to get um, bringing the ball back from out of bounds almost crossing the out of bounds line to securing the second goal um, there's lots of calls for him on social media um, to bring him in or to have more minutes I was wondering if any of you guys what did you think about Mitoma he played very well when he came on and, and he had an impact and just to sort of back up what I, what I just said um, it seems to be that some players are suited to the role of coming off the bench and then having an impact on the game so if, I, if it was up to me I would I would keep the same the same pattern same starting lineup, and then bring these guys on after 50 minutes 60 minutes Yeah, I think what Colin said sort of points out the strategy that has been effective in, in in just giving the team a spark at halftime for the second half. Certain guys do seem to 
be energizers. And we've seen that with Doan. Mitoma's done really well in that regard. And um, Asano as well. Oh, yeah. Asano seems to be like a big spark of the bench when he comes on. Um, he just attracts a lot of attention from the from the backs. And I guess just the way he moves through the field, it, or I don't know, he, yeah, he just brings, he brings a lot of attention to the way he plays. And having the ball, uh, when he the ball, when he's got the ball, he seems like a very dangerous player to be, to, to have the ball. Um, all right, maybe we can end up on, what's one more last topic? Or, yeah, I just really want to, I want to, I'm really, like for me, I'm really kind of concerned about this next matchup with Croatia. As as Colin pointed out, Croatia is on the roll. And there was, a, there was an article, I think written by uh, maybe ESPN or BBC, about Moriasu's Samurai Blue. They all they feel they feel like they give too much um, respect to these European teams, and they've already um, in their minds they've already lost the match before they've even played because of like the feel the feeling of um, inferiority. I hope that's not the case with cost um, with Croatia, and that they play with the same energy or even more energy and fervency with um, than they had with Spain today. Um, and I'm really hoping that Japan just, um, again, a 1-0 win would be enough. But we'll see. Like, Croatia is still a powerhouse in, in, in the international football scene. Yeah, um, although I was talking up Croatia, um, mainly because I, I do admire that team and I do respect that team so much, Japan Japan do have a chance. Um, once... Once they get the players back um, after the recovery day today, and then Moriasu can assess who's freshest, who's got the most energy, because there's not a lot of time to rest, and that game's on Monday, Qatar time. So um, I suppose he'll need to do a bit of an assessment as in who's who's best um, suited to play, because they'll need to go again with a high energy, the high press, which they pressed Spain in the first half yesterday, but then after half time, they really pressed them. It was like they 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 flicked the switch at half time, and they collectively decided, you know, the only way to get back into the game would be to really put the Spaniards under pressure, and they managed to do that. That takes a lot of energy. So, you know, once he once he gets the players assessed, fitness wise, he can then start putting together a starting lineup. But hopefully, everyone is available and we can use that the strategy that worked against Germany and against Spain. I think I think the speed of, of Japan's midfielders and forwards and you know even through the defense will be important as well to you know to create scoring opportunities. Croatia is a very big physical team, uh, very smart and veteran team. So I think Japan will have to find its spots to create openings to try to get the ball toward the net. All right, gentlemen, thank you for your time and speaking today. Um, Colin, your wisdom again, your insights, and the way you see the game and interpret the game. It's always a pleasure to speak and listen to you. Listen to you. Um, before we, we wrap up, do you have any announcements or anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, well, once again, just thank you for inviting me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to talk to you about um, the World Cup. 
And I would just uh, invite anyone who's listening just to check out the Sports Look website. It's the sports section of Japan Forward. It's at Sports Look JPE on Twitter as well. Um, there's really good articles on there, not just about the World Cup, but since we're focusing on the World Cup at the moment, there has been good coverage on the website, um, especially for, for the Samurai Blue matches. And... Um, I'm going to be doing some uh, predictions from the quarterfinals onwards. So we're going to try and uh, plot the pathway all the way through to the final and maybe even suggest who's going to lift the trophy. So after the round of 16, look out for the quarterfinals, semifinals and final predictions. All right. Thanks, Colin. How about yourself, Ed? Anything you'd like to share with our listeners? I've got I've got a uh, fun trivia uh, story in the works. Um, there might be a hint or two in the pattern of answers. I'm not going to give it away right now, but basically um, ha- helping people brush up on their J- Japan World Cup knowledge, some fun um, stats and um, trends from the late 1990s up until yesterday. Uh, just a short weekend piece about that. And uh, again, I would encourage people to follow our coverage on Japan Forward and Sports Look. We do also carry occasional editorials from the Sankei Shimbun on sports. And we ran one last weekend about uh, Japan after the Germany match. And it was an interesting look at not only the young members of this current team, but also the impact of German football influence on Japan soccer dating back to the 1960s and the Tokyo Olympics. There is a uh, pipeline of coaches and opportunities that have been in place uh, for decades, I should say. So please check out that editorial if you haven't seen it. All right. Thanks, Ed and Colin. Um, please follow them both on Twitter and look out for their articles on Japan Forward or Sports Look. Um, Colin writes for... What, what is it? NY, nyfights.com speedpod.com and also with, with Sports Look. Ed's a long-time veteran writer um, in Japan, covering a wide range of sports, and he also runs the ship for Sports Look. Look out for his pieces, and look, look out for the articles that we publish on there. Um, to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel, and this space will be distributed on Spotify and Apple Music. Make sure you subscribe to that as well. At Japan Forward, we're looking for contributors and writers. Get in contact with us if you want to submit a written piece. Let us know um, what skill set that you have that you think would add value to our vision, and don't hesitate to get in touch. We will do this again, hopefully next week, and keep an eye out on Twitter for the announcement. Have a good day, night, um, wherever you are and um, have a nice weekend everybody Thank you for listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information regarding our podcast and other news on Japan Catch you next time